The thoughts, opinions, and general overall shades thrown on High at Nine News are those of the individual speakers and not those of High at Nine News, its audience, or its advertisers. The statements made do not constitute medical, legal, or financial advice. And for advice tailored to your specific situation, please consult with a licensed professional. Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at nine with us. on behind the scenes in oh. college oh yeah good morning everybody it is thursday november 2nd and today is international doge day for all you people that lost big time on that it's also all souls day national cash back day probably because it's doge day it's also national ohio day national oh rochelle i think you're gonna love this it's national make men make dinner day and National Broadcast Traffic Professionals Day. Well, thank you for joining us and getting high at 9 with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. Use that fancy little QR code somewhere on the screen to find where we live on the Internet. And we are live every Monday through Friday on YouTube. And uh, we are also broadcasting now on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, and Rumble. So welcome to anyone joining us from any of those audiences. But uh, we are, I'm sorry for our starting late. We had a couple of technical difficulties this morning. We are going to kick it off with the Florida man of Sonoma. That's right, Mr. Yaro Kubrin, who does cannabis, real estate, and cannabis real estate, of course. That's right, it is none other than the Yaro Kubrin. Yarrow, you're frozen. Yarrow's frozen. Oh, all right. All right. I guess we're not going to Yarrow first. I guess we're going to the dope dad himself. Yeah, winner. Yeah, we're going to the dope dad himself, Mr. Rico Lamite, who is styling and profiling with his gray beanie today, getting ready for his big depot. Oh, yeah, that's right. It is the dope dad himself. It is Rico Lamite. I'm getting a golf clap. There you go. All right, man. I got a um, green green market report came out with uh, with some pretty interesting data on social equity. And uh, John Troyer, he's uh, currently doing a multi segment deep dive into social equity in the U.S. cannabis industry. He dropped the first installment yesterday, and looking at the current state of affairs from a data back viewpoint, the movement's definitely evolved since uh, we were first marching in favor of equity back in uh, over equality back in uh, 2017. And it's interesting to see how. Um, what used to be a bottom-up initiative to counter the harms done to communities of color by the war on drugs, it's morphed into more of a top-down box to check of 
nothing else than that. Um, as Schroyer put it in the article, social equity has been woven into licensing structures by lawmakers or regulators as they craft new state level industries and certain criteria is often established in order to prioritize licensure for entrepreneurs who can demonstrate a legitimate harm uh, from cannabis prohibition. There's no definitive database yet tracking social equity businesses or licenses nationwide or how many social equity businesses are operational or profitable. So it's hard to really gauge how much progress has been made by social equity programs. But GMR compiled intelligence from uh, Cannabis Media, uh, 2022 report by the Minority Cannabis Business Association and another 2022 report from the state of California to flesh out um, tw uh, 20, around 2,300 social equity businesses um, and permits that have been issued in at least 15 states with equity programs. That's about 5% of the total 42,319 cannabis business permits issued nationwide, as reported by cannabis media through the end of October. The state-to-state -state breakdown includes 26 in Arizona, 619 in California, 59 in Connecticut, 2 in Florida, 144 in Illinois, 392 in Massachusetts, 2 in Michigan, 42 in New, in New Jersey, 10 in Nevada, uh, 781 in New York, 226 in Vermont. Uh, MCBA added that there are also state-run social equity programs in Colorado, Maryland, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, Washington State, and Virginia, but specific data about the licensing under those programs is still hard to come by. So that 2303, to be exact, tally is not accurate as you'd think, uh, but the best our industry can muster up at the moment with the tools given. Schroyer went on to say that uh, the figure also doesn't include up-to-date statistics from California and Michigan and some other states in part because of a legislative report in California that was due in July has not been published and Michigan regulators are hesitant to share specific social equity license data. Uh, there's also new social equity programs being created nearly every year, with more such programs becoming available in states like Missouri and Maryland and more upcoming in New York, while social equity programs are being considered by lawmakers in Hawaii, Minnesota, and other states that are poised to legalize pretty soon. Some of y'all may have caught that Florida was on that list of, uh, of states that I gave a second ago. Those licenses are actually a result of litigation, not direct policy written by lawmakers. So the MCBA doesn't count Florida as a social equity state. Interestingly, cannabis media counts Florida as a social equity state because they're reserved for quote unquote black farmers. Also not included on the list, equity license holders that may have already sold their permits or exited the industry, which Schroyer says, means that the size, scope, and success of social equity programs is inherently tough to judge. Interesting data, indeed, uh, even though it's very incomplete and fragmented. Um, I think what is and isn't being reported by different agencies on social equity speaks a lot to how equity programs have not been and continue to not be taken seriously. It's an afterthought. Nothing more than a box to check when si uh, spinning up new industry regulations. Uh, performative appeasement by legislators and corporations pandering to communities still reeling from the Anslinger, Nixon, Reagan, Clinton, and yes, Biden administration policies. I've been a vocal advocate for original philosophies behind social equity and cannabis from the jump. I've also been an outspoken critic toward what has evolved or what the uh, social equity movement has evolved into over the past seven years. 
I'm not optimistic about the trends that I've seen and don't really have faith in our leaders putting together stuff that'll universally work for communities on a federal level without policies easily being challenged as unconstitutional. But I am thankful for the work that Schroyer and GMR did here as it gives us a more detailed view into what's going on from different perspectives. Um, very much looking forward to see what part two reveals. I'm Rico Lamit, the dopest dad on the street. Interesting in hearing what you guys have to say about this. What do you think about these numbers on social equity? Part two is just going to bring more sadness and tears and desperation. It's it was it's was, it was like this planned obsolescence, man. Yeah. Um, this this is why I call I, it socialist I, equity. I, yeah, that's why that's why we call, we call it social mm -hmm. socialist equity, man. It's a pipe dream. Um, I think like the more that these states pile on to it, like the 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 less of the original messaging is going to be found. In any of these policies, mm -hmm. it's just going to, like I said, it's, it's, it's a box to be checked. Um, the people who have suffered most, the communities that have suffered most from uh, the prohibition and the war on drugs, um, less than 5% of the entire industry and, and the majority of those uh, social equity licenses aren't even black. <laughs> oh, boy. I think, I think it's interesting. I was on a panel uh, a couple of weeks ago at MJ Unpacked, and in one of the pre-calls, uh, and it was about retail merchandising. And I was asking, you know, what can these smaller brands, social equity brands do um, once they've gotten their license, once they're in the market, what can they actually do to ensure they're getting prime shelf space to get, you know, promotion within dispensaries? And the answer was pretty bleak, you know, like one of the people on the panel is basically like, it's not possible, you know, like money talks and that's it. And so it's like, not only are you facing unbelievable odds in this industry in general you have lack of access to capital but then once you're there who's actually ensuring that your product is getting in front of consumers and what's the incentive for consumers if they don't even know you exist it seems like there's just barriers at every single turn for social equity brands in general mm -hmm. man i'll tell you what if uh if uh social equity was a high-speed chase they'd be stopped in their tracks all these barriers are you are you sure you're not a dad, Jason? That was a, one of the worst dad jokes I've ever heard. It know. was it was terrible. It's like I feel extra pressure to be extra funny because that one was a car crash, not a car chase. So look, I'm verified social equity. I went to the wrong schools. I grew up in the wrong neighborhoods. I got in the right trouble. I, and the moment I learned about social equity in Oakland, I was helping some people to get cultivation licenses. And when San Francisco came out with their program, I laughed and cried at the same time. I laughed because I was excited about being a participant. I cried because it reminded me of all the things that got me there. And none of those were incredibly enjoyable experiences. I think we need to, it's hard to separate the challenges of social equity in cannabis with the challenges of regulated cannabis. And a lot of the pain points of regulated cannabis equally or even more so apply to social equity operators and applicants. And, and, and so there is some challenges in regulated cannabis and that's the world's biggest understatement this morning. Um, and, and, but, but I think that it, 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 we have to really sort of delineate which of those challenges are social equity and which of those are just the way in which regulated cannabis has been rolled out 
uh, not always so efficiently and not necessarily with uh, cohesive policy. The thing I think that's most important is that the challenges of social equity are better than the challenges of not having social equity. And when we look at social equity programs and the amount of funding that those programs receive relative to the amount of sales or taxes that are brought in from regulated cannabis, there's a lot of room for improvement and there's a lot of room on that pie chart to support social equity applicants, social equity programs, and to give them some attempt at an at an at a level playing field. And 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 so I just think that it's important to understand that this is not a handout, this is not a uh this is not uh an unfair advantage. If you look at many industries, they benefit from government involvement, reduce, reduce taxes uh, uh, and, and incentives. And, and we don't have that on a federal level. And so I still think it's important for states to have social equity programs, ideally at the beginning and not as a bolt on later on. Uh, and, and to understand that the challenges within these programs are still better than not having these programs. Uh, the challenges, we could have an entire week of a podcast of this Hyatt Nine News podcast on what those challenges are. Um, but I think that, you know, getting on shelf space is not easy for any brand. And, and and maybe I'm insulated, maybe I'm in a bubble, maybe it's because I've been doing social equity policy work for seven years. But I look at, I look at retailers in LA, social equity retailers in LA, and they are prioritizing social equity brands. And so there is an opportunity to have supply chain alliances and to support like-minded businesses and to support social equity brands. And, and maybe that's not enough to turn the tide or, to, or to, to overcome some of the macroeconomic challenges of regulated cannabis. But, but I'm still optimistic that social equity is an important part of regulated cannabis and that we need to continue to fail forward and continue to fund these programs and to do a better job at it. You know, I received a quarter million dollars in social equity funds to run a business that still isn't stood up yet and still doesn't have a certificate of occupancy. And in that, I can tell you that this last round of grant funding was incredibly inefficient and it looked like the Office of Cannabis hadn't figured out how to do it better in round four than they did in round one. But that doesn't mean that I don't want those opportunities and it doesn't mean that those resources aren't going to be beneficial to the business once it's open. Facts. I think, um, you know, hindsight's always 2020. Um, I, I, I do wish that California, the first to roll out social equity programming, would have done things like New York did. And actually had social equity licensing first. You mean like open up no stores? But we know. And say you're gonna have so many stores no, open. I, no, okay. actually give actually give clearance for the black and brown operators first to get up and running. Um, and because you knew that these, you know, multi-hundred dollar, uh, excuse me, multi-hundred million dollar uh, entities, you know they were coming. You know the MSOs were, were not far behind. And you know there's plenty of businesses that did not suffer, the communities that did not suffer, um, but instead of making a carve out and giving equity licenses and making people pay exorbitant fees for three years before you even have provisional licenses uh, um, uh, issued, um, they didn't do it that way. So you had a bunch of people with deep pockets, they had a head start. And we are where we are here in California. I don't get into the nuances, like Liaro said, we can speak for hours and days on this shit. Uh, but you know, to see these other states say oh yeah they didn't do it right and uh, they're trying it their own way like nobody can agree to what social equity even means i will say this every time we bring up social <laughs> equity look up the etymology of the word yep. it was created by a white man hg frederickson in idaho 1968 it's a marketing buzzword mm -hmm. so if you even put this thing 
into law anywhere. What is social equity? There's no dictionary definition for social equity. People can't agree to what it is, municipality to municipality, state to state. Um, and if you tried to make this, put this on a federal level, guarantee there's going to be constitutional uh, challenges like, uh, immediately, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, good luck when, uh, um, uh, when interstate commerce opens up. All of these programs are going to be null and void. So it's a big mess. It was a mess from the beginning. And um, I don't see it getting better any anytime soon. I'm just like super pissed off that uh, um, uh, these government bodies just lied to people and, and, and you just wasted people's time, their money and, and telling them, oh, it's a chance to build generational wealth. Like, and, and shout out to the people in social equity that have been uh, that have been uh, successful. Uh, but we need to realize they are an exception to the rule. Period. Just like your favorite rapper coming out the hood. Like, oh, yeah, if I can do it, you can do it, too. No, you can't do it. Like that, they are exceptions to the rule to get you out of the shit that you are in. And social equity is just, it's not the answer. Reparations is. And yes, on, Jason, and on, reparations. And I don't know if I'm buying all that, but nonetheless, on that, we're going to roll a commercial and we're going to be right back. The control tower from Highly Educated has perfected the dab. Utilizing the concept of thin film evaporation, you can waste none of it and taste all of it. The micro texture of the SE pillar increases nucleation at elevated temperatures. And with the tower propelling at 2600 RPMs, it's certainly the most efficient dab experience to date. The Control Tower from Highly Educated. Need to do. They're like, oh, I feel your pain. I'm like, I had to go hustle up 72K on a pre-revenue entity to get reimbursed. And on the fourth round, you guys are telling me that everything I did to get reimbursed on the other three rounds won't apply to Yarrow. this round. And there's no Yarrow. appeal process for me. Yarrow, if we Jeez. want to get to your story on time, bro, we got to keep it moving. My bad. Yeah, I didn't hear right. the uh, commercial, so I thought we could just riff from Ramble. All right. Up next, he's a second generation cultivator and the founder of Special Teams Consulting, the Sebastopol Sage himself, Yarrow Kubrin. Hey, good morning, High at Nine News viewers. My article today, San Francisco Gate. Thank you, Lester Blacks, and your byline. My article today, some California cannabis farms are selling out as optimism returns. As in selling out a product, not selling out their values. There is something unusual in the air at Northern California's cannabis farms. Optimism. For years, California's legal pot farms have been devastated by the one-two punch of crashing wholesale prices and extremely expensive regulatory requirements. That's caused hundreds of farms to go out of business, but this year's fall harvest has brought a new sense of hopefulness. Farms in Northern California's Emerald Triangle, which was once home to a thriving cannabis farming economy, have sold out a pot this fall after years of struggling to sell their weed. The wholesale price of cannabis, which largely determines if farms can live or die, appears to have stabilized in California, and small farms are finding new creative ways to stay in business. I feel the tide is turning in our favor at long last, says Judy Nelson, the owner of Soul Spirit Farm in Trinity County. Nelson told SFGate that for the first time since 2019, she recently completely sold out of her inventory. To be clear, pot farmers aren't expecting to go back to the booming days of a decade ago when California's medical mar marijuana market allowed farmers to easily turn a profit growing pot on even the smallest homesteads. The Emerald Triangle, a three-county region that includes Humboldt, Mendocino, and Trinity counties, is still a shadow of its former self. 
But the pot farmers who remain say there are real signs of the cannabis growing economy rebounding for the first time in years. Johnny Casali, the owner of Huckleberry Hill Farms in Humboldt County, says he's already sold 90% of the crop he harvested last month. He grows what are known as regenerative cannabis crops, a signature of Northern California that involves the plants being grown outdoors as opposed to inside under artificial light. He thinks that retailers and shoppers are finally seeking out this kind of cannabis after years of it being rejected by legal weed stores, giving a hope that his farm can survive. People are starting to resonate with regenerative farming, growing cannabis organically, and resonating with small farmers in our story, Casali told SFGate. Locals are also seeing a slow return of farm workers to the region, according to Kristen, I can't pronounce her last name, the director of operations for Humboldt Canna Company in Willow Creek. After legalization in 2017, many folks cleared out of the region as the cannabis businesses declined, she said. It's crazy how much quieter our mountain roads have gotten over the years, but this year we've seen more traffic, which means more workers on farms on the hill than we have seen since 2017, which I'm taking as a good sign, she said. There are still fewer pot farms across the Emerald Triangle than there were five years ago, but the farmers who have stuck around are increasingly finding creative ways to keep their businesses open, according to Daniel Stein, who owns Bryceland Forest Farm with his wife in the small community of Bryceland. To sustain their pot farm, Stein and his family formed a cooperative company called Farm Cut with five other Northern California farms to share the cost of packaging and distribution. His farm also grows and sells produce and runs a weekly farmer's market. It's muted conditions from where it once was, but for sure the economy is settling out, hopefully. Stein told SFGate, it has narrowed the community, but the people who are here want to be here and there's a real beauty in that. Growing a diverse set of crops has long been a foundational principle of Northern California's cannabis farms, which have their roots in hippie homesteads that grow all of their own food. Pot, are, pot farms are increasingly finding that this plant diversification can be one way to survive the cutthroat legal cannabis industry. Ruby Rose, who owns the White Thorn Valley Farm in Humboldt County with her husband, said she started a commercial flower business to help keep her keep the family's farm afloat after cannabis prices dropped. She said the flower business is doing well, making her hopeful that they can continue to raise their two kids on their homestead. We're optimistic. We're all in. This is not a business for us. This is a lifestyle, she told SFGate. It's really important we make it work because this is where we want to live the rest of our lives. This is Yara Kubrin, Hyatt 9 News. Man, these these I feel like there's a trend going on with these stories so far today. I don't know with this one i feel like you love to see it i mean emerald triangle needs to bounce back yeah. and to know that farmers are feeling hopeful for for once in a really long time um i really am really glad to hear it um and also the whole perception that um you know outdoor sun grown is is less than needs to be challenged and it sounds like it finally is i would have assumed consumers especially younger consumers who are so concerned about climate change would be all in on sun grown um so i don't know if that's what's making the change or, or what i'd be interested in hearing why the market is shifting i mean maybe, well, maybe with maybe. the decimation of all of these other cannabis cultivation licenses there's been a big difference in terms of supply and demand in the regulated supply chain so in one in, in one way this is kind of sad because we're interviewing the polar bears that managed to stay on those ice caps while the other ones drowned because those ice caps were melting on the other and, and and also the other thing is the people who are being interviewed are farmers who branded their farms 
You know, when we're talking about soul spirit or Huckleberry, we're talking about farmers that understood the value of a brand early on and didn't just B2B wholesale their flour and bags, which was more of a legacy way of thinking. And, and they're, they're reaping the rewards of that because consumers can choose what farm they're purchasing from instead of just getting weed in a jar. Good point. I mean, I'm 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 glad that they're feeling hopeful up there in the north. I'm I, I am truly truly glad for that, and I do want them all to to succeed and whatnot. But 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 Rochelle, do you really do you really think that that people's view on climate change is going to dictate the type of products that they purchase? I don't know. I, I don't understand Gen Z, but I know that they're that they're uh, concerned about it. <laughs> My, my, my thought is this, is I wonder what happens when all the Gen Z years in like 20 or 30 years from now uh, realize that everything they were told about this is a big lie and the world's still here and we're still moving and everything else like that and still have tidal waves and still have sunny days and cold nights and whatnot. And then all of a sudden, what, what, what's going to happen with them? Well, I think there's another reason separate from your climate change denier mindset. I think there's another reason why people would consumers would strongly consider acquiring cannabis from the Emerald Triangle or Sonoma County. And that is that, that, that these, these, a lot of these genetics, the, the highest and best expression of these genetics has been coaxed out of these, these climates, these regions, these hills, these farms for decades. And so there is an argument to be made separate from the uh, ecological benefits or the environmental benefits of sun-grown versus indoor that you're going to get the best expression of those flowers from regions where those flowers were, were, were created and from, from operators who have generational knowledge about how to get the best out of those plants. Mm, fair, 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 fair enough. We'll see. We, we will see and time will tell on all of this but uh uh yarrow if you have a quick second i'm gonna go into my story i definitely want to hear what you have to say because this has to do with socialist equity as well rico are you ready for this um adam why isn't this blowing up what is going on oh there we go oh man i can't even barely read this what'd you do to my computer adam nonetheless <laughs> illinois suit aims to block the opening of socialist equity marijuana licenses store that's right the parent company of a marijuana retailer in illinois filed a lawsuit alleging that another store is opening too close to one of its existing outlets in chicago the parent company of a marijuana retailer in excuse me under state law marijuana retailers are not allowed to be located within 1500 feet of each other unless the two entities were licensed under illinois social equity program the lawsuit filed this week in Cook County by GRI Holdings argues that while social equity licenses should be permitted to open uh, open stores close to locations owned by large multi-state operators, regulations should not permit social equity businesses to locate so close to each other, the Chicago Sun-Times-Herald reported. The lawsuit claims that the social equity exemption is a misinterpretation of the state law by Illinois Department of Financial and Professional Regulation, according to the newspaper. 
The Department of Financial and Professional Regulation, which licenses marijuana businesses in the state, is named in the lawsuit as well. And GRI Holdings plans to open dozens of stores in the Illinois this year, according to the Sun-Times. The company was, was part of a lawsuit in 2020 that aimed to block social equity applicants from getting a second chance to win a license, and the applicant had complained that the first opportunity wasn't conducted fairly. Well, 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 is this just a sore loser or what is going on in Illinois? And this is Jason Beck for the High at Nine News. What do you think about this, Yarrow? Well, I mean, I'm going to reiterate what I said earlier in the program, which is I think the challenges of social equity programs in cannabis are better than not having social equity programs in cannabis. And you've heard me on previous Hyatt Nine News episodes talk a lot of smack about people who litigate in general. I don't know that I feel that filing lawsuits is is always the best approach. And I'm a free market guy. I mean, I'm a hippie granola, social equity pro. Let's save the world, and 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 and, and I do believe in climate change, but I also believe in a free market. And so, the, you know, the the radius restrictions around retail always felt a little arbitrary to me at best. We don't have those restrictions with coffee shops. We don't have those restrictions with most other brick and mortar businesses. And so, I don't know. I mean, some are going to win, some are going to fail. Some of that's going to be about who's best funded. Some of that's going to be about who's most knowledgeable. And a lot of that's going to be about execution. But if you don't like competition, get out of America. Because I think that that, that having the ability for dispensaries to be developed without some of those onerous radius restrictions is better for capitalism, better for the consumer, and better for the patient. And so I don't, especially when you're talking about high-density urban environments, you can get a lot of people in a small area. And so I just, I don't know. I'm not really that keen on people filing lawsuits, whining and complaining. I think social equity has a lot of room for improvement, but I don't think complaining about somebody opening up a business nearby is the is the right approach. I think if you want to win, do a better job, sell a better product at a better price, care about your customer yep. and win. Right on, man. I, I, I... And I am right with you on that too, man. I'm all about competition here. And um, especially in cannabis, it's about the experience, man. Um, it's, it's not always, you know, people say, oh, it's the price, it's the price, price. No, like we have data, you know, in my company, we actually can show you the data that it is more about experience. It is more about like being in touch with the community. And if you want more proof of that, there's a reason why all the big MSOs left established markets for uh, these uh, emerging markets because they have no connection with the communities, right? So um, you, you Go to the hood, you see liquor stores right next to each other. Uh, you, you go to the suburbs, you see Costco right across the street from Sam's Club, right? Uh, competition is what America is about. And if you want, don't show up to the football game with basketball shorts on. Be ready to compete. Be ready to compete for the same customers, for those same dollars. It is what it is. You are getting into a competitive market. That's just, that's that's my take on it. Like, I would not compl- I would not complain about somebody opening up next to me. That's more of a chance for you to show how much better you can do than the next person. Yeah, couldn't, you could also look at it as like, hey, if there's a store nearby, there's already a whole bunch of customers that are coming over there that I can recruit to come shop at Steal my em. store. Exactly. Yep. Steal them. Yep, like how many times, Jason, you see uh, new shops coming, uh, new shops opening up, and you see people from other stores uh, uh, at that line giving them flyers. <laughs> to I mean, come I'll, over I'll, here. I'll tell, I'll tell you what. You, you know what I used to product. do. You know what I used to do back in the day is 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 um 
There, there. Any any time the DEA would come into town, stores would just get scared and close up and whatnot. And I used to always think like, yeah. why, why are they, why, why do they do this? And so I used to go around and put notes on their doors to say that services were being provided at my location, and then just direct the traffic over there. Oh, they got so mad Massages. about that. But in, oh, I did it in all the California. Time. At one point, I believe the, sti- the statistic was that one out of seven people had a real estate license, okay? I mean, mm-hmm. nobody said you can't have a real estate license because we're already at one out of eight people. Everybody and their cousin and their brother and their sister and their mother had a real estate license. But it didn't mean that the real estate practitioners who were fiduciary, energetic, knowledgeable, and hustled weren't going to do well in that industry. It just meant that the barrier to entry to being a practitioner in that in, in that industry was really low. I don't see anybody complaining about that. We don't see any lawsuits about, wait, there's too many real estate licenses. Some are going to win. Some are going to fail. Some aren't good at what they do, no matter what they do. And some people are going to be incredibly successful at whatever they do because of how they do what they do when they do what they do. Facts. Oh, boy. Any thoughts on this, Rochelle? You do better. I mean, I'm all for healthy competition as as well. I think that the issue in cannabis is that there's this scarcity mindset because everything's been so messed up. And because it's not people are afraid of competition because they want to hold on and cling uh, to what they think they already have. Mm-hmm. That is true. That is true. I would totally agree with that um, mindset right there, Rochelle. I think that is definitely, definitely prevalent in cannabis. But on that, we're going to go to a commercial and we're going to be right back. Relying on 25 years of commercial hydroponic experience, King Solomon Nutrients has engineered the best liquid and dry fertilizer products for cannabis that preserves the crop, the soil, and the environment. Through relentless passion, research, and innovation, King Solomon has developed simplified cannabis crop nutrition you can trust. It was created for farmers by farmers. Don't mess around. Try the crown. That's it. No doubt. Oh, yeah. And we're back. Stop whatever you're doing. Make sure you hit that like button. Uh, I know we'll appreciate it. You'll appreciate it. And even YouTube appreciates it. Also, too, make sure you're subscribed to the channel. If you have not subscribed already, all you got to do is just hit that little subscribe button, ring the little bell, and that way you'll be notified whenever, every time we go live. And all of the articles that we cover today, you can find on our website at www.highandnightnews.com. I'm Jason Beck, and this is Smoky Vanilla. And if you want to feel as good as I look, then you need to get yourself a stretch and smoke with Smoky Vanilla. That's right, baby. I'm Smoky Vanilla with my background in kinesiology. I'm a sports massage therapist and stretch coach. I focus mostly on athletes who have chronic pain or injury due to their sport or the legends of the chronic in the game, baby. Oh, yeah. You know what it is. We just stretched and now we're going to smoke because you know what it is. That's right. I love intuitively creating a session based on the individual I'm working with. We'll go through a few assessments, look at the past health history, injury, or anything that's still affecting you today, and create a customized session just for you. Let's go.
I'm feeling great, Jason. How are you feeling today? You got this one? I, I got, got I got this. Rochelle. You got Rochelle. You got Rochelle. Okay. 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 Word on the street is that she is the king of Legos when she be the queen. in the cannabis industry. When she be the queen. <laughs> but also, she's an experienced reporter with demonstrated history of working with cannabis and psychedelics and um, editor over at Green State. And you know what? She's here to break us down with the hard facts and hard truth. Y'all know who it is. Rochelle, Minnesota, Gordon. It's <laughs> a great, great intro, Rico. Appreciate that. So um, like most weeks, my story uh, today is completely different. Uh, my colleague, Carol Weedstock, asked the question yesterday, could legal weed increase the value of your home? Let's find out. So legalization movements often have opponents. These groups and individuals sometimes argue that cannabis dispensaries bring crime and vandals, lowering home values. But new research from Real Estate Witch shows that theory may not have merit. In fact, 2023 data shows that homes in states with legal cannabis saw a greater increase in home values compared to states without adult use. Real Estate Witch is a publication owned by Clever Real Estate that features real estate advice for home buyers. In partnership with Leafly, Real Estate Witch analyzed home value data in the U.S. from 2014 to 2023. They used dispensary data from Leafly and home value information from Zillow. Motley Fool and Disa Global Solutions Compliance Services Company provided U.S. cannabis legalization information. Uh, it is worth noting that various factors contribute to home value outside of whether or not cannabis is legal, a lack of available houses for sale can increase pricing, noise pollution, schools, parks, crime rates of specific towns also play a role, obviously interest rates as we know, um, but let's dig deeper. Does cannabis legalization mean higher home values? So adult use cannabis is currently legal in 23 states and DC. In these states, home values have climbed an average of $185,075. Those that haven't legalized saw an increase of $136,000 and change. Homes in recreational states have an average cost of approximately $417,000 and change, 41% higher than those in states without adult use cannabis. Seven of the top 10 states with the highest increase in home value in 2023 have legal weed to have medical programs. The only state in the top 10 with absolutely no cannabis access is Idaho. Interestingly, most analysis of migration to Idaho in the past few year, in last few years show that people are moving to, from states with legal weed, like California, Arizona, Washington, and Colorado. The study lumped medical-only states into the without legal cannabis group, Getting granular with it, states with medical cannabis also saw an increase of just shy of 30 grand uh, more in home value compared to those without adult use or medical access. The typical cost to buy a house in medical states is 21% higher than states without. Uh, real estate, which also revealed that private real estate in cities that opt into having dispensaries is more expensive than localities that opt out of having cannabis businesses in the city limits. Regulations in some states grant city and county governments from barring cannabis businesses from operating there, but those elected officials may reconsider. Homes in cities with recreational dispensaries saw a 67,000 and change increase uh, in property value compared to places where dispensaries are banned. 
So it turns out that bolstering creativity and potential medicinal value aren't the only possible benefits of cannabis. Legalization could mean a higher home value, especially for those who live in a city with dispensaries. Looks like voters in states without adult use programs just got more incentive to consider pushing for policy updates. So Rochelle Gordon, on behalf of Kara Wheatstock at Green State for Hyatt 9 News, what do you guys think? Do uh, Does legal weed impact the home value? I can tell you this. In Colorado, uh, when I went there for uh, the second or, second or third time in 2017, I asked an Uber driver, uh, has cannabis benefited you in any way? And he said, hell yeah, my house value doubled in the last two years. Now, obviously, the market there has changed, but I want to hear what you guys have to say. I mean, I, I, I love this story, Rochelle. I mean, in the beginning, a lot of the uh, prohibitionists would always complain that dispensaries bring down home values. But now it seems like there's some uh, quantitative data to disprove that uh, that recent thought. Yeah, man. Shout out to Kevin and Sabat. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Yeah, but no, all the all the NIMBYs, all all the NIMBYs would always talk about, oh, you're ruining our house values by having all these dispensaries here. You're bringing in all this crime and da 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 da. And it seems like all right. of that, all of that study after study is proved that uh, cannabis dispensaries actually make the neighborhood uh, more safer and it's, better yeah. better quality of life overall for the residents in those neighborhoods. It's an economic boon, man. Just look at Orange County. Right. Remember Orange County first opened up. Uh, they only allowed businesses here in uh, Santa Ana. Yep. Right. Um, number, numbers came in. Santa Ana was killing it and it started developing and crazy. And then the rest of the most red district of all. I mean, California. You, you only have one. You only other have Costa Mesa. There ain't any, any other cities in Orange County that have it. Irvine's opening up. Uh, uh, Irvine, and, uh, Irvine may be opening up, but they haven't they haven't get, crossed that threshold. I'm yet. saying they're opening it up now because they've seen the numbers. They see uh, uh, Santa Ana's been getting it. Mm-hmm. Period. You that, see that, those numbers? I, I agree with oh, that. Santa Ana oh, has been getting it. That was, and that that was that was actually how um how Santa Ana actually got consumption lounges because they were going to open up yeah. uh, retail in Costa Mesa, and that was the trade off. So then that way the Santa Monica uh, retailer still had some type of some advantage was being so then that way they could offer some consumption lounges. Hmm. Yep, and that's the um uh, the was it the brownest the brownest part of Orange County, Santa Ana. Yeah, we're gonna go ahead and let them open up, but uh, we're not gonna do the it over here. The brownest part of Orange yeah. County? I thought that was Anaheim. Oh, <laughs> I think it's a different kind of brown you're talking about, Jason. I don't know, bro. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I mean, there's only one color brown that I know of. There's more melanin. Let's put it that way. There's more melanin in Santa Ana than other parts of Orange County. You let them go ahead and have their cannabis dispensaries. We'll see how it happens for them. And then they have a, a budget surplus. They're opening up everything, fixing everything over there. Then all of a sudden, you see, oh, I guess we're going to open it up now. It's mm-hmm. not It's not so dangerous. It's not you so dangerous. Money. Follow the money. That's it. That's true. It's not, as always. It's not that it's not as dangerous. And this is a great story. Thank you so much for sharing this today, Rochelle. We appreciate it very much. Appreciate you. Awesome today. Yes. And on that, we're gonna go to a commercial. We're gonna be right back. Or do we have a commercial? How's it going, guys? Saman Razani coming to you from Green Street here with Jason Beck smoking on the best weed in the world. Did you know that we have an audio-only version of our podcast available on Apple, Google, Amazon? iHeartRadio and Spotify. Tune in now and check it out. 
Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, man. I feel like he's the reason we're always late. <laughs> you guys are you guys are so funny. You guys are so funny. And, uh, and Jason coming through with a second story at, 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 on the hour. Yes, that's right. Question uh, question for you. Which one which story do you guys want to hear about? Do you guys want to hear about marijuana MSOs in Nevada consumption lounges or do you want to hear first Arizona is oversupplied with marijuana? Let's go with uh, Arizona oversupply. All right. Arizona is oversupplied with marijuana as brands seek a shrinking self shelf space in dispensaries. When marijuana was outlawed in Arizona, smoking a plant's flower was the primary way to feel its effect. Now adults and medical patients can instead choose vape pens, gummies, and even beverages. Machinery filled and sealed a long line of tall, slender cans made and sold by the flower shop AZ on a recent Thursday morning. The ingredients are flavored water, some of the psychoactive chemical THC, and an injection of carbon dioxide. That's a pretty simple recipe. Seltzers grew popular as booze drinks, and a link with alcohol may chafe some in the marijuana business. But Vicki Doolittle thinks that it's spirit makes spirit makers who should be annoyed. We're coming in the market, in their market share, Doolittle said. Doolittle is a sales director for a firm called Your Way Cannabis Brands. The publicly traded company owns an Arizona-based extract maker that also does white labeling of marijuana products known as Shatter Diamonds and Distillate, better known as Concentrates. Arizona's third year of legalized marijuana has been hard for people in the industry. The thumb, the thumbs of growers have become so green that they are in an oversupply as and as multi-state operators set up. Local brands have to compete for shrinking shelf space in a limited number of dispensaries. I'm going to quote, it's definitely a big war out there. We're just out of prohibition, Doolittle said. To her point, a lawsuit recently filed by the marijuana company Doolittle used to work for uh, for against her current employer alleges that there was a kickback scheme involving others to get products into dispensaries. And Doolittle is not a defendant, nor is she mentioned in the complaint. And Doolittle was actually recruited into cannabis industry from being long-established greeting card giant Hallmark. She switched jobs after her husband urged her to seek a new challenge. Then he died of COVID-19, sadly. The outpouring of support from marijuana industry people she hardly knew has made them Doolittle's family, she says. And so I will do everything I can do to help any brand, she says. Arizona brands of major marijuana uh, used to be all there what are all there when they, things were available in state licensed dispensaries and Doolittle estimates that now local products account for less than half of store displays. And some of these kinds that are coming in in have much larger marketing budgets than the local Arizona ones do, she says. The result is local brands get cannibalized then. Those that survive still have to compete with multi-state operators, which run most Arizona dispensaries and have their own marijuana products. They can make reciprocal deals to get them displayed to consumers, but in a quote, and the smaller brands don't have that option. So they have to get very creative on how they get onto shelves, Doolittle said. The flower shop AZ is an example of a multi-state operator. Its stores are supplied by a huge grow operation in southern Arizona, an industrial kitchen that makes seltzers and more, plus a separate operation for marijuana extracts where a machine filled vape cartridges with distillate. The capsules will eventually go into the vape 
uh, vape batteries for a product line that also features low-dose edibles, and it was created by Flower Shop president Greta Brandt. There was nothing that was specifically geared towards women, and I saw that as a missed opportunity, Brandt said. And this just kind of just goes on and on and on, but apparently there's a major, major, major shortage of shelf space in Arizona, and it just sounds like Arizona is the next state with an oversaturation of cannabis like California, Oregon, Washington, Oklahoma, New York, and so, so many, many others. What do you guys think about Arizona joining this list? Arizona's going through some shit, man. <laughs> I mean, Arizona the, was uh, one of the top markets to be in when it first opened up, and everyone was all excited yeah, about it. it. Everybody that, was like, oh, man, key. this is the spot. Okay, so, so so that was the key. Early on, if you got in early on, a lot of the ones that, that, that were in there first, they're okay. But there's all these kickback schemes uh, to truly, you have all these allegations of backdoor deals that have been going on. And anybody who's coming into the Arizona market, you really can't get on the shelves. You really can't uh, work with any of the retailers because they have their alliances already set in place. So what do you have? You have a glut of products. You have, you have stale product out there. Mm-hmm. Um, the prices are being commoditized quicker than other places. And uh, you have operators just leaving because they're not, they can't compete mm-hmm. uh, out there. So um, what you see is the market imploding in Arizona right now. And um, they got to open it up, man. They got to open it up and then start working with some other people and some other ideas are going to continue to see the woes exasperate. Yes. The woes, Wardy. That's for sure. Lots of woes out there. Lots of woes. Lots of woes. Any thoughts on this, Rochelle? Arizona? That's a tale as old as time, right? Just like Rico was saying. Get in while the getting's good. People people have their partners who they like, who, you know, paid for placement, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And basically eliminating competition. It seems like that's the the theme of the day, right? (laughs) It definitely is a theme of the day, that's for sure. That is for sure. Speaking of themes of the day, I'm just going to roll into our final story of the day because we are running, running very, very short on time. But are you ready for this? And this is a real this is a real quickie, Rico. Are you ready for this? Always ready for a quickie. Marijuana MSOs among six new consumption lounges licenses in Nevada. As we get ready for MJ Biz Conference, where all of the cannabis industry flocks to Nevada. Nevada regulators approved six more conditional licenses for marijuana consumption lounges, including concepts from two of the nation's largest cannabis companies. New York-based Cureleaf Holdings plans to open a retail-attached consumption lounge through its subsidiary, subsidiary trike costs at its reef dispensary just off the Las Vegas Strip, according to Business of Cannabis. Green Thumb Industries, headquartered in Chicago, plans to establish a similar concept through its integral associate subsidiary at an adjacent location to the Cookies on the Strip retail outlet, the news site reported. The other conditional license winners include Desert Evolution, Hierarchy, Nevada Pure, and TGIG. The state's Cannabis Compliance Board, the CCB, has now approved 15 consumption lounges in Nevada. The agency confirmed to MJ Biz Daily, and the CCB in June granted the first three conditional licenses for such venues and approved loosening air ventilation standards for marijuana consumption lounges, theoretically making it cheaper and easier for lounges to open their doors in one of the nation's largest tourist markets. 
Then in August, the regulator approved three applications, including two concepts in the Las Vegas market. Nearly 40 million people visited Las Vegas last year, and on Wednesday, Planet 13 Holdings, a Las Vegas-based MSO, released renderings and details of its 3,000-square-foot consumption, food, and entertainment space. The Dazed Consumption Lounge, which features bong chandeliers, VIP booths with flat-screen TVs, and a secret entrance, will offer customers flour, concentrates, vapes, edibles, and specialty crafted can of cocktails, according to a news release. In a quote, one of the main goals for this year was to increase the utilization of its superstore to drive more traffic and revenue while improving cost structure and operating margins. Planet 13 co-CEO Larry Schiffler said in a statement, your boy Rico, he also says, we are executing on that goal while continuing to define Planet 13 as a differentiated retail brand with national recognition. Days is ex- expected to open on or by April 20th of 2024. What do you think about this? All these lounges in Nevada? Shout out to us. Shout out to my man, Larry. I bet. You're going to be hating on me because I love me some Larry. There's <laughs> 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 my guy. But um, I'm just mad that we don't have uh, Nicole Buffong on today because she called this shit from the jump. Mm-hmm. It was a full-time jack move from the beginning. These MSOs are the only ones that were going to be able to operate as they uh, um, as they wanted to with the consumption uh, lounges um i don't know man uh money talks mm-hmm. you know and especially in down markets you know larry came out <laughs> he's ruffled so many feathers with his last comment when he said these other businesses didn't have what it takes we got money yeah <laughs> we're gonna be buying them up we're going shopping yeah right that that is what, that is what capitalism is unfortunately we are seeing the first real down market in cannabis and guess what it's m a season and a uh, big bank eat little bank Mm-hmm. That's what's going on, and, and and the companies that survive this, um, they're deep pocketed. Nope. So that 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 they are very very true. What do you think, Rochelle? Are you going to go to any of these consumption lounges in Nevada? These big old MSO consumption lounges. Consume I don't some, know, man. Consume I'm some like, beverages. I still going to my consume, trap party. I can do that here in Minnesota. Like, <laughs> right. like Um. These are necessary in Vegas. They're taking a long time to get there. I'm not surprised at all uh, that it's going to the MSOs because Vegas is so corrupt and money-driven to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just kind of, it's interesting how it's played out, but not wholly surprising. But here's the thing. It, personally, like, Vegas frustrates me because it takes so long to get everywhere and it's so frustrating. It's like, do I need to go all the way to the consumption lounge and I could easily just, like, go outside in the garden and hide my little joint? Like, yeah. I don't know. Yep. It could be an interesting experience. Like I'm all for lounges, but uh, if it's a pain in the ass to get there, I don't want to go. <laughs> I, I I agree with you, Rochelle, because a majority of times, just getting from your hotel room just down to the valet to get a limo is at least fifteen minute walk. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's I'm, I, I'm surprised they don't have like more, you know, party buses and stuff like that. Just have the consumption lounges. Like I don't think the consumption, consumption lounges are allowed to pull their vehicles up onto uh up onto the casino property. I think that would be a clear money maker. I think it know? would, but um, but then but then at the same time you would have you would have these uh federally protected casinos engaging in contracts right. with schedule 1 right. drug dealers and so I think that would be a big no-no by the gaming association and the whole whole bunch of people out there in Nevada would have a no-no to that. 
right? That's a city that's run by big alcohol. Um, and, uh, you know, but it could be a big money. It could be a big money maker. There might mm-hmm. be a loophole in there, you know? A loophole. Stats, I like, I like, I like how you, I like how you look for loopholes, Rico. I'm always looking for <laughs> nice things too. Hey, always yes. good for the reach around. Oh but thank you all for joining us for yet another episode of High News. You can catch us live weekdays, 9 a.m. Pacific, High Noon on the East Coast. Big shout out to our super fans showing love, getting their comments posted live on the big screen, our live audience and online supporters, catching us across all media platforms, tuning in each day to the daily headlines of chaos, also known as the developing cannabis industry. To our vetted correspondent team tuning in from all over, bringing us much needed variety of perspective and your respected opinions to the table, our production team, cloud media partners, and all our sponsors, keeping the lights on and our AV struggles to a minimum. And as always, Cannabis Sativa L, the reason we show up to read these headlines every single day. Thank you. It has been Thursday, November 2nd, 2023. The show's over. You've all been blessed with the top industry headlines. Hope it was enough for you to put in your pipe and smoke at least until tomorrow. My name is Rico Lemie, the dopest dad on the street. Rochelle Gordon, you gotta take us out. You're feeling bummed out. Go build a Lego set. Oh, maybe the bong Lego set, right, mm-hmm. Nicole? Right, Rochelle? Build yourself a bong. That's right. That's right. Build yourself a bong. Build a bong. Yeah. Well, build a bong. Build a bong. Quote yes. That. yes. That. It's, it's, it's a new Lego set that just oh, came wait. out. Yes.